This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK, where interesting people talk and London listens. Left, right, and center. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us this morning. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning, Hello. Jim. I want to just very, very quickly, folks, just for those of you who may be confused about all the news that's coming out of Ottawa, here's the nitty-gritty for at least one part of this story. And that is that a number of Quebec, and really it doesn't matter that they're in Quebec, I suppose. One of our earlier callers said, let's not be beating up on the people of Quebec. But ad advertising agencies, here's the deal. A call would be made from someone within this ministry, Galliano's ministry, to Via Rail, for example, and this is one thing that happened, say, please write a check for a million dollars and deliver that check to, to the Joe Blow Advertising Agency. Via would say, well, why would I do that? Well, it's okay. We'll get you your money back. We just need you to do this for us. Well, okay, sure. The minister asked for it. Here's the check. Million dollars goes to the Joe Blow ad agency. The Joe Blow ad agency takes the million dollar check, writes a check for $850,000 and gives it to the people who are actually putting on whatever the event is that the million dollars was supposed to go for. Eventually, VIA gets its million dollars back from the government as the funds flow through for the program. But the ad agency, the Joe Blow ad agency gets to keep 150 grand and nobody notices. That's the heart of one part of this scandal. Just so you understand that in the in the simplest form, that's what happened. You'll hear the, the figure $250 million floating around. Some of that money did go to buy flags and, and bumper stickers and whatever. That's not really the issue here, even though you may, like me, think that's in, inappropriate. That's not the issue. Some of it actually bought stuff, but a whole bunch of it just went into people's pockets for moving government money from one government agency to another. That's the crime. That's the place where people should be going to jail. Now, having said that, guys, here we are in a situation where we have a massive scandal that's exploded in, in Ottawa. And unless we choose not to believe the Auditor General, and I'm sure many people will choose not to, but I do believe her. I don't believe she has an axe to grind. So let's. I'm going to accept that what she's told us is true. This has been a massive fraud, a massive cover-up, massive money laundering, the tentacles of which may well reach as high as the Prime Minister's office. She did not name any names, but she certainly indicated that this warrants a very serious criminal investigation. And when she was pressed last night about it, uh, whether this could move into the realm of, of political leadership, she did not hesitate to say yes. So here's the deal, guys. We've got, what do we got, four opposition parties now and the liberals firmly in the driver's seat. Um, they are facing one of the biggest scandals probably in Canadian history as this thing unfolds. It's been a long time since we had allegations uh, backed up by the Auditor General of actual corruption, of actual theft from the public treasury by people uh, uh, responsible for the public uh, uh, welfare. Um, it's been a long time since that happened. Yet we have a government that most Canadians will concede is going to get elected again in April or May. Given that reality, and that's the choice of Canadians too, it will be their choice to vote that way, but... I don't know about you, Bob, but I, I I would think Jeff probably would agree with me, and I certainly think they're going to get elected again. Oh, I agree. Um, is there anything else we can do from a political or philosophical point of view to, to prevent this from happening again? Assume that the Liberals are going to maintain their ascendancy, and let's say that at the end of Paul Martin's term, the same kind of thing happens, and there's a new Liberal Prime Minister, and there's a new scandal like that. Is there anything we could do now, change the rules, change the operations, uh, I mean, changing governments is, is the obvious and most straightforward way, but that's not likely to happen. So what else can we do? Canadians are absolutely frustrated and furious today. They're looking for answers. Can we provide them with any, Bob? Well, Jim, I've worked in a bureaucracy before. And I think one of the first things that fascinates me about this is Paul Martin's uh, suggestion that there's no knowledge of, of this going on. And, uh, 
you know, it may be, because I've been inside a large bureaucracy before, that he knew about the money and the transfers, but did not know that they were either unauthorized or that there were, was some element to them that led to this. You never know, because I just can't see how one person can possibly keep track of the billions that this government spends in a year. You can't keep track of minutia. This is a quarter million dollars. The HRDC... A quarter blew, billion dollars. A quarter billion, yeah, sorry. And uh, the HRDC blew multi-billions. Yes. Uh, and then, th at that point, the, the big complaint was that there was no return on investment. We couldn't measure what we got for it. Well, that's the case with all government spending, and that's the problem. That's why there's no accountability in government. There is never any way to measure the results of government spending, and get this, other than the spending itself. So when the liberals say, oh, well, here's what we did for health care, we increased spending by X billion dollars, right? Did that, did that help health care? No, but they increased spending. That's the only measurement they use. So you've got a government that is hell-bent on spending because that's the only justification it has for its existence. In fact, that's happening at the municipal level right here. We're watching that. And so... How do we measure accountability? People aren't just happy with having their basic services and low taxes. We seem to want all these things from government. And the fact that we're all uptight about this little $250 million when, you know, the billions and billions and billions that are properly authorized are just as fraudulent. UIC is a fraud. Yeah, but Canada Pension is a fraud. These are not real sure, plans. Sure, sure, but we've been down, you and I have been down that road before. The reality is today that Canadians are absolutely outraged. They want this to stop. They're not outraged enough not to vote for the Liberals. So what, That's is, right. is there anything we can do? Uh, no, not, not given that, that scenario. Uh, people are happy with what they've got. We we say we're outraged and oh, we're screaming bloody murder, but that's not going to reflect at the polls. Uh, what people are satisfied with is that they don't have to pay for their health care or their education. And as long as the government keeps telling them that that's not the case or that's what they're going to get, uh, we have our, ourselves to blame for this, you know? Sure. Well, I guess uh, the first thing is that uh, there's no question that's appalling that this kind of thing happens. And, and of course, it's happened since time immemorial and and presumably will continue to happen. You know, that uh, we had uh, uh, all the cabinet ministers in the Mulroney government that went down over financial scandals of one kind or another. Stevie Cameron's uh, book on the take. Uh, we've got the, uh, you know, the disclosures of uh, of the spending at OPG uh, provincially under a power generation and uh, Mike Harris being at all these, uh, uh, every event at Air Canada Centre and so on, drinking expensive of wine at, uh, on the taxpayer and so on. Uh, I guess one of the one of the questions is whether whether you just sort of uh, throw up your hands in despair and uh, and move to uh, you know a small uh, Antarctic island or something because I don't know that things are ever going to change in a big way in that sense. However, it would seem to me that what you'd want to do is to find the folks who did it and string them up somewhere, and not just everybody who happens to uh, be in that government, but the ones who actually did it. And I guess one thing that that is good is that we have uh, auditors. You know, thank goodness. I, I don't know the history of how we came to have uh, federal and provincial auditors, but uh, you know, thank goodness they exist. So this kind of thing comes out. The system works in that respect. And I don't know whether it would be useful to make it bigger. Uh, you know, whether to give it more power to somehow try to have it get on top of these things before they become such a big deal. Uh, a danger of that, of course, is that it seems that when you make an organization large, then it becomes corrupt and inefficient, yeah. so I don't know. <laughs> well, let's let's look a little farther then. We have the reality here that uh, that this these tentacles may indeed extend into higher echelons. They may go to the, to the uh, Prime Minister, and the suggestion has been made that because this was an issue, the, the battle against Quebec sovereignty, which he was intimately involved and and you know perhaps the decision was made to uh 
shuffle things around. One of the reasons, one of the speculations is, in fact, Sheila Fraser talked about this, but one of the speculations of why this happened was that these were payoffs for ad agencies who did pro bono work um, for the Liberal Party at various times when the party didn't have the money to pay them. And uh, so they, you know, being faithful liberal war horses, they uh, waded in, into the battle and did what needed to be done with the promise of future recompense at some point. And this was how they got repaid for, for their problem, you know, for the efforts that they did. Uh, if we're going to string somebody up, Jeff, and Bob raised an interesting issue before about the, the finance minister. It's hard for me to imagine he didn't know the mechanics of what was happening. It is entirely possible that he did not realize the fraudulent element of it. I would, I would grant him that. But he says he doesn't know anything, which I find hard to believe. However, uh, having said that, um, how do we contain this, Jeff, or do we just let it go? Well, again, I think that uh, that once having had the lid peeled off of it, you have to investigate the investigate it to the nth degree and find out exactly what did go on. Uh, as far as Paul Martin goes, you know, not not you know, this sort of being something that's sort of fairly new issue. I'm trying to think through sort of what what's in it for him as to you know why he would have condoned something like that, uh, knowing that they have a provincial auditor or a federal auditor. You think at some point, you know, somebody's going to get wind of this and it's going to be a scandal so that would be a reason not to do it uh, even personally in terms of Paul Martin you think of you know, this is a pretty wealthy guy uh, you know we're talking about commissions of $100,000 here or $200,000 there um, like it, it just doesn't seem to me like he would sell his his career respectability and all that for a few hundred thousand bucks well there's no question at least I haven't heard anybody suggest that he benefited from it personally or that or that Mr. Kretchen benefited personally from it but the party certainly benefited from it well, well isn't that sort of a personal benefit isn't political power a personal benefit it may uh, well be if, if it is and uh, like the thing, though, is that, again, to say the party benefited, it's like, well, there's a lot of people in that party that didn't all benefit from it. Uh, let's find out who did and what, how they how they cooked this up. Let's uh, pause for a second. We're going to come right back, go to the phones, and Tim's waiting to join us. Thought-provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK. We're back, and Tim's on the line. Hi, Tim. Hi, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, just a general comment, I guess. If we ever needed to sit back and find out what it means to be Canadian, our reaction to this is going to be a good way to define ourselves because probably what's going to happen, as your guests have mentioned and you have as well, with all the billions of dollars that have been frittered away on whatever over the past eight years, plus this now, like this is the ultimate betrayal. There's always been an expectation as a taxpayer that your tax money was being wasted in some respect, but not stolen mm -hmm. by the literal definition. And I think to watch how our reaction to this, we're outraged today, we'll be a little bit less outraged tomorrow, a little bit less the day after, it'll drag out and drag out, and until finally the general public won't even remember what the heck we're talking about when they refer to this again. And I think that's one of the real problems. And then just one other comment to tie in with your earlier comment about tax money and how much of our taxes do this or that. I spent some time, a little bit of time in Austin, Texas in November, and the standard of living achieved by people there who would make an equivalent salary to what my wife and I do here was staggering. Absolutely staggering compared to what, what we have here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear any of them complaining about health care or anything like that. And they had families and, you know, and what single incomes. The, the difference was 
unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. It's a sad comment, Tim, but I appreciate you making it today. I'm glad to hear from I you th today. I think well, there's Tim, no question that, that, that there's a huge disparity in the United States. It's not to say that everybody in the United States lives better than everybody oh, in Oh, I know. Here you go. The poor in the United States are so poor. Well, yeah, I don't I think mean, it was well, me who said that. I think that the stats in the United States show it pretty clearly. And and again, that's fine. If you want to have a country that way, then people should go live there. I, well, I, I don't understand why if somebody country? says the States is a heaven on earth, then why wouldn't you try and move there? He didn't say that. Once. He said that a person who makes the same as what he makes here in Canada yeah. would live infinitely better in the States than the than they do here. Yeah. And this brings me to my next point. Jim, before the show, you asked the question, what should we do given the fractured state of politics today and et cetera? You know, the country is fractured. I've, I've been in politics for 20 years and I've watched Canada basically falling apart at the seams. And, you know, people think there's going to be some cataclysmic event when, when Canada finally croaks its last breath. But that's not the way it happens. How it happens is exactly what Tim said. There is the slow stagnation, deterioration of a standard of living, dissatisfaction with the status quo, an entrenched elite, um, an incredible burden of taxes on the middle class. Canada is a socialist country. Let's get that through our heads. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, and I, I and, and socialist countries are not rich and do not have, have high standards problems, of living. It's amazing how you make them up. It's astonishing to me that anybody would whine about how hard it is to get by living in Canada. I didn't say that. One of the highest that. standards of living in the world. We're one of the safest countries in the world. We have one of the most uh, uh, sort of peaceful countries. So what do you say How to Tim who says say that we're on what, the last what, legs before we expire? I didn't. I, I, <laughs> that's exactly the thing I didn't say. I said it okay. won't be a cataclysmic event. There is no, no last legs. No. People people are willing to live. You know, if all if that's all they can expect for uh, to get a loaf of bread a day. The Soviets went through this for fifty years. What's it got to do with Canada? And, because we're heading in that direction. Really, Jeff? Come on now. Really. How, look at look at we're living a lot worse. Municipal than we were 10 taxes. Years ago? How, you think affordable housing is going to improve in this city with thirty percent municipal tax increases? Affordable housing. What with, are we talking about? This this. I know people who are losing their homes because they can't afford to pay the taxes that that left wingers are taking their money oh, and transferring them over to other people so they can buy houses. You're now the champion of the poor and so always like, have been. <laughs> oh, free wow. markets and freedom so has always been. If you get rid been. of uh, progressive taxes, the poor would live in a life of perfect utopia. Where are the poor better off? In a capitalist country or in a socialist country? Well, I I kind of like Scandinavia. They seem to do things right from my perspective. Where are the poor better off, in a capitalist country or in a socialist country? Well, is country? Scandinavia a socialist country? Or is Scandinavia well, then, is that, poor better Jeff, off there? Jeff, with that meaning no disrespect at all, then why don't you go live there? What's wrong with Scandinavia? I'm not the that, one who said we were about to expire. I'm no, the one no, who's always no, no. singing Canada's praises. No, no, I'm but, but, it, but if it, no, our orthodoxy. No, but if that's such a superior system would it not attract uh, the best and brightest of Canada to say you know we believe we really do believe the socialism stuff so we're going to go where it works well again if you think Canada sucks then you would go live in Scandinavia do I think Canada sucks no I think it's wonderfully better than Austin Texas and and uh, two of my kids were actually in Austin Texas over New Year's coincidentally as well and it's true that if you're a lawyer in Austin Texas you live way better than a lawyer lives in Canada that's great so if you're a lawyer yeah okay if that's what's important to you to be able to have a Lexus instead of a Toyota you should go live in Austin you should. I, that's not what's important to me. I, I, I just amazed at that, that that attitude because that's the very attitude that, that creates poverty. But on the uh, other hand, I, in Austin, Texas, you know, it's legal to carry a handgun on your person. Oh, that's a nice non -sequitur. Somebody who walks into your house. There are all kinds of things about Austin, Texas that really would disturb me. I would be nervous all the time if I lived in Austin, Texas. Well, and, so are, and so are thieves and robbers. And, and I love and, traveling to the Robert, United States. I love traveling way, to the United States, but I'm always so glad to get back to Canada and be able to just sort of go, ah. You know, John Stossel interviewed a bunch of uh, convicted criminals in jail just a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago on 2020 
and they love states where there's where there's gun control. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that they fear the most. And they said every one of them said this is the fear that a homeowner may own a gun. Mm-hmm. Just just to deal with so just totally to non sequitur back to your topic. So when you started it, you're the guy who brought up the gun control. <laughs> gun control you know, Jeff, and, uh, you're here, Jeff is pointing at a problem. society that's safer, <laughs> that has lower taxes, that gives greater satisfaction to people, where you're allowed to defend your property. And he says well, he doesn't want to live in a world. Well, no, no, that's Austin, Texas. Well, I'm afraid you just not. said that. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not. <laughs> Well, oh, you are you saying, can you kill people more easily in Austin, Texas? Yes, you can. Does no, that make can't. me calm? No, it doesn't. Texas it has a death penalty, which I don't out. agree with, by the way, but that's the another issue. The fact that people are able to kill each other much more easily is not something that calms me. It just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to come back to where we started today, which was in Ottawa, where nobody's killing anybody. It's killing Canadians' confidence in government is what is sadly is what it's doing. Well, and it's also not this, but in the last year, there have been so many areas where, where people have been disappointed. Like, it's just, you, know, you wonder who to believe anymore. You know, it's like, well, we'll throw this weapons of mass destruction. Well, maybe there aren't. You know, we're told that uh, that uh, Enron's a great company. Maybe it's not. Martha Stewart. We don't even know if we can trust her anymore. Like, how do we end up with leaders who we can trust and believe in? Well, that is the classic question, isn't it? We have an opportunity here. We're looking at a new political party, the Conservative Party of Canada, that are running three candidates who uh, are, are not new candidates. Let's face it. I mean, even Belinda's not new to the world of power politics. Uh, so we've got we've got three sort of conventional candidates there, although they are dissimilar. I think the real question, the real test for for Canadians of of this, not even this generation, but over the next couple of months, really, is to see who the Conservative Party nominates. I I think that no, no, but but I think they have an opportunity right now to say to they will not do this. By the way, they have an opportunity to seize the moment and to through a tremendous amount of hard work and discipline and effort and energy would have to be expended to go across this country and to reach out to people who are not the traditional political voices in the writings across the country the people who have been energized by this kind of this kind of issue here and get those people involved and put those people before the nation and say you know you can have these guys over here you know what they've done Jim the energy from an issue like this lasts about 48 hours oh, that's okay I've, l- I've learned that I'd in say politics. 72 the but people who last forever are the ideologues. But having said that, okay, shouldn't nobody, be to this the single issue people are 48 hour events. Shouldn't this be Paul Martin's finest hour? It's like, okay, now you've got your first crisis. But it already isn't. Let's see how you it deal with it. It already isn't his finest hour. No, but it already isn't. He's already said, I didn't know anything at all. No, no, but he's, he should be saying, look, we're going to appoint a task force. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Oh, he's I'm done, appalled. No, nobody's going to do that. No, he's Shula already Fraser said all of that. the most wonderful person in the world. I'm going to double her budget. He's already said well, but what he has said, the thing that really the salient point here is that he said, I didn't know anything about this. Well, nobody believes that. You don't <laughs> even believe that, that he know that he knew nothing about it. He's already blown his finest hour. He's already missed the opportunity. Well, that is you know, I, I think Jeff's looking for a savior when he keeps saying, well, who to believe? For me, it's never a question of who to believe. It's what to believe. And once you know what's right and wrong... And then whoever supports your right position or your wrong position, however you look at it, that's who you go with. That's all. That's the only choice you have. But if you but don't a, even a know. of future behavior, you look at past behavior, though. You look at what has this person done in the past as a predictor of what are they going to do in the future. But we don't do that in politics, or Paul Martin would never have been elected the leader of the Liberal Party. Well, I don't I know. I mean, look what he did with Canada steamship lines. More and more, which is kind of, they're talking the states about George Bush's National Guard service record. That's chicken feed compared to Paul Martin and CSL. But, but the majority of people, and not including me, but the majority of people don't seem to care 
care about that. Well, they don't I, care about uh, about. Uh, I don't argue that for a moment. But what you you're the one that said we look at past performance to judge future performance. Well, what Paul Martin said yesterday should have been no surprise. Who followed his business career? People, anybody bothered? Well, I, I, so I do nothing. Nothing to do with me. It wasn't hey. my fault. No sorry. Moved the flags of convenience on Canada steamship lines. Oh, I had nothing to do with that. Fired all the Canadian workers. Well, no, I mean I was just I was just economics, you yeah. know. Well, um, I'm, I'm the guy who's seen him speak lots of times, and he's always and so told a good story. And, and he's never a seen him follow up on yeah, any of that Absolutely, stuff. he's not a wonderful orator, but and he's a pleasant guy. Yeah. He's a pleasant <laughs> guy. Smart, it's nice to sit there and have dinner and listen to yeah, him, right? Yeah. yeah. But again, the things he says he's going to do, he seems to go out and do the opposite. You know, he talked about. I remember one speech was all about how his father built the social programs of this country, and he'd be the last guy to tear them down. And that was about 1995. You know, and just after that, then he massively cuts transfer payments. Uh, you know, and and let's hope he's not the last guy. And the social programs. So, you know, that, that that's a problem that I have. So, yeah, is is he somebody who I have confidence had nothing to do with this? No, I don't at all. You know, uh, the, the real problem with that is not so much that you can't believe what politicians say. is that they, they, may, they, they tell us completely unbelievable things, and then they run into this wall called reality. And then we all go, oh, gee, reality makes the ball drop every time you let go of it, right? And in politics, people actually believe if you let go of the ball, it will go up, mm -hmm. even though they've seen it go down a million times. Uh, or you could go up to the average voter and say, okay, you've seen this ball drop a million times. Now what's it going to do? Oh, it's going to go up. I'm voting for the guy because that told me it's I going want up. It to go right. Up. But and again, that's I, exactly I the mental... Uh, what do you call it? A psychological state of the voter in but terms of his expectations and politics. Like, like Mike Izinga, we know we know senior executives in that party. Yes. We know senior uh, politicians. They seem to be nice, credible people. They don't seem to be dishonest. Well, I think they are. I think I think Mike Zinga is Mike Izinga is exactly that. I think he's a very credible guy. He's one of the most uh, one of the most uh, credible people I know. But how how does this happen in that party then? You've got people who seem to be good people in charge. Maybe that's the question we should be asking. How does this sort of stuff happen? Maybe, and no offense to the members of the Liberal Party, but one of the points that's been made about the party is its, its inclusiveness, that it, it, it has something for everyone within the party. Maybe there's too much room in the party. You know, maybe a party that can have Alfonso Galliano and Mike Izenga in the same party, maybe that's too big. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe it's just too big. Anyway, gentlemen, I thank you both for being Thanks, with us Jim. today. It's Thanks, a pleasure, Jim. as always, and thank you folks for staying with us through left, right, and center, as you normally do on a Wednesday morning. Nice to have you with us again.